Let's pray. Father, this is your book, and we're your people. Come yourself. Make our religion real. May we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And Father, as always, forgive the one who teaches his sins, because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was Sandlot baseball, certainly no big deal. <laughs> they gathered most weeks to play baseball, and they chose up sides, and then they got to it. And he was just a kid, and he waited for them to choose him, and they never did. When the teams were chosen, he stood alone as the only one unwanted. He said to himself, I don't care. I don't give a rip. But he did give a rip. It broke his heart. And the reason I know it broke his heart is because I'm not kid. And one of the reasons the text we're going to study this morning is one of my favorites is because of that. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke, the seventh chapter, and I'll begin at the uh, 36th verse. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, read whore. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And then 
turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I have a dear friend in the inner city of Nashville, Tennessee. I was there recently. And he welcomes the people to his church with these words. If you are marginalized, if you have sinned big and you think that Jesus is through with you, if you are sometimes so lonely, if you doubt on occasion, if you're afraid, if sometimes you wonder even if you're saved, Jesus says, welcome, you're in the right place. The trouble is people like that often are in a bar before they come to a church. I've been asked to talk to you about involving the uninvolved, and I'm going to do that. But before we do that, I want to go down one side road, and I want you to note that sometimes the pain of being excluded is so great that you will do anything to be included. I've taught this text 800 times, and every time I teach it, I think of how dumb this prostitute is. She's not just a sinner, she's dumb. And Billy Sunday said a sinner can repent, but stupid's forever. I mean, if she's going to crash a party, the last party she ought to crash is a party of Pharisees. If she had been smart, she would have waited outside until the party was over. And then when Jesus came out, she would have cornered him and used her perfumed ointment. But she didn't. She went right inside. This time, when I was studying it, I realized it wasn't her dumbness. It was her pain. A number of years ago, Steve Camp, the Christian musician, brought a number of his friends here to Orlando. And we rented out in uh, Benny Hinn's church. It was... Benny Hinn was then in Orlando, and, uh, and a lot of people came. We raised money for AIDS research, and Steve said he needed a preacher. So he called me and said, would you say something spiritual? And I said, I can do that. It was a wonderful evening. 
the testimonies, the music, the joy, and the money we raised. There was one young man who had gotten out of his sick bed, and by the way, he died of AIDS, and he's home with Jesus now. He sang a duet with Steve Camp, and then he got up and he gave his testimony. And he said, guys, it wasn't about sex. I would have loved anybody who loved me back. Oh, my. Sometimes the pain is so great, you'll do anything to be included. Jesus died for sin, and sometimes it ain't sin. And it's not evil, it's pain. And Jesus died for the pain, too. Okay. If you're familiar with AA, one of the things they say often is that only a drunk can help a drunk. That's true. But let me tell you something else. Only somebody who has been unincluded can help somebody who is unincluded. If you grew up in a normal family, if you've always been accepted and praised, if you're good at what you do, if you've always had friends, you can't help the uninvolved. Forget it. You can pray, and you can be civil, and you can try not to cause problems, but just forget about being involved in anything that I'm going to be talking about this morning. But can we talk? I think everybody here has been there at one time or the other. I have a friend in Philadelphia who's one of the most winsome young men that I know. I mean, he's loved by everybody. When he walks into a room, things light up. I met his mother a number of years ago, and I liked her okay. But in the last five years of my friend's life, his mother has rejected him. I mean, totally. She won't accept his phone calls. She sends his notes and his cards back. She refuses to speak to him. She refused to have him come and be with her when she died. And my friend didn't understand. He and his sister Judy have gone through an awful five years with the rejection. And he wrote me this. I remembered the story of an English soldier the day after World War I ended finding a single flower on a battlefield in the middle of no man's land on the most decimated section of fighting soil of the entire war. His tears fell as he thanked God for this flower. The soldier justly and rightly believed that only God could have created something so beautiful in the midst of only death and destruction and neglect. Judy and I are the flowers of war. The lifetime war of abandonment by a mother who chose not to love us. Yet through the miracle of God and each other, we were humbly blessed with a heart to love and adore, having been neglected and eventually abandoned. That blew me away. I thought of another friend of mine 
She could have won a Miss America contest. Everybody liked her, looked up to her. And most women were envious of her, her beauty, and the way she drew people to herself. Only I, and I was her pastor, only I knew about the horror of her father. He had rejected her, and there had been a division between father and daughter that had gone on for 15 years, and they hadn't spoken. She had tried, but had been rejected. She got the call from her brother that her father was dying, and if she wanted to see him, she had to do it right now. So, so she got on a plane from Miami and flew to Los Angeles rushed to the hospital and to her father's dying bed. And she leaned over that bed and said, Oh, Daddy, I love you. And he opened his eyes one last time and said, I hate you. And he died. I can't even talk about that without wincing. I suspect you have something in your life like that. Places where you've been rejected, turned aside, where nobody want you involved, where people seem to say that you were ugly and your mother dressed you funny and you've forgotten about it. You put it aside. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. Listen to the old guy. Think about it for God's sake. Think about it, remember it, and then use it as God uses you to reach out to people who are uninvolved. Okay, I move the previous question. What do you do? Well, the first thing you got to do if you're going to involve the uninvolved is you got to go to some weird places. I mean, the last place on the face of the earth you would expect Jesus to be is in the home of a Pharisee having dinner with those self-righteous twits. You ought, to, you ought to go to Matthew 23 and read that. Jesus did not have a warm, fuzzy relationship with the Pharisees, okay? And if his mother had been looking for him, the last place on the face of the earth where she would have looked for him was at a dinner party for Pharisees. But there he is. If you're going to if you're going to involve the uninvolved, you got to go to some places that make you quite uncomfortable. Some of you know Reggie Kidd, and by the way, he said for me to say that he loved you and to say hello. I had lunch with him on Friday. One of Reggie and Sherry's three sons, Charlie, is now a missionary, but he hasn't always been a missionary type. As some of you know, Reggie plays acoustic guitar and doesn't like the electric, but Charlie took up an electric guitar, and because Reggie loves him so much, he learned to play the electric guitar. Not only that, Reggie started listening to music that he couldn't stand, grudge bands, hard rock bands, the bands that assault you. And one time, one of those bands came to Orlando, and uh, Reggie thought, I can't stand this, but I love Charlie. I want to go with him to that concert. So he asked his son, and Charlie said, that'd be great, you come with me. Well, Reggie, as you can imagine, Reggie 
stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> the old white guy who wasn't sure he had a reason to be there. And one of the girls there came up to Charlie and she had black fingernails and black lipstick. She had purple hair and rings in funny places. And she said to Charlie, who's that guy? And Charlie said, that's my father. And then this girl went over to Reggie and looked at him and said, hey man, you are one badass dad. <laughs> they never say that to us because we're never there. We're too busy at church. <laughs> I hate what happened at Pulse, the people who were killed and I wept. That's a tragedy beyond words, but the personal tragedy for me is that I wasn't there and you weren't either. So if you're gonna reach out to the uninvolved, you gotta go places Christians don't go. Places where you feel uncomfortable, where, where you pray, Lord Jesus, don't return while I'm here, because that's where the uninvolved are. But secondly, you've got to break some rules and shatter some traditions. When Simon thought if he were a prophet, he would know what the law said. You can't allow a prostitute to even touch you. But Jesus is there and he is breaking the rules. We teach in our ministry a born free seminar. And one of the things that we say often in that seminar is this, so listen up. So live your life with such freedom that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. So live your life with such freedom that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. Jesus did. That's why they sent him to the cross. And I guess we can too. In the Sermon on the Mount, as you're aware, Jesus said often, you have heard it said of old, but I say unto you, he's still doing that. You've heard it said of old that there's some people you shouldn't associate with because bad company ruins good morals. But I say unto you, who's going to tell them? You have heard it said that you should only eat Christian cookies and go to Christian films and read Christian books. But I say unto you, how can you speak their language if you don't eat some pagan cookies? If you if you don't read some pagan books and dance to pagan music. I, somebody told me about a friend of his who was a Southern Baptist uh, church planner and he was planning a church in Boston. And my friend said to him, Sam, what are you a Southern Baptist planning a church with all those Yankees. How, how can you find prospects for your church? He said, I go to the special food section of the supermarket and watch who buys grits and okra. 
and I invite them to my church. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to involve the uninvolved, you got to, as it were, eat a lot of grits and a lot of okra. But there's something else. If you're going to reach the uninvolved, you got to set aside some pet agendas. You find that that's what's going on in this text. I, uh, if you're familiar with John 8, you know that's the place where Jesus uh, dealt with a woman who had been caught in adultery. I don't know where the twit was who helped her with her sin, but he wasn't there. But the Pharisees were, and they had rocks, and Jesus said, let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. And they left, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I have never taught on that, and I've taught on it a thousand times, that some Pharisee didn't come up to me and say, yes, okay, but he did say, go and don't do it anymore. If she had done it anymore, he would have said exactly the same thing. How do I know that? From Luke 7. Jesus has no agenda. I mean, it's scandalous. He should have sent her to a good synagogue. He should have gotten her into a discipleship group. He should have found an older woman who would have helped her walk the life of holiness. But he didn't do that. He said she loved a lot. And she sinned a lot. And young lady, you're forgiven. That's it. No more? No. You're forgiven. Jerry Paris, uh, Reverend Jerry Paris, is my beloved African-American friend. He's the pastor of the Christian Family Worship Center here in Orlando. And we've been meeting together and loving on each other for a long time. <laughs> we've decided, and I brought some honkies and he brought some of his leadership. We're planning a conference um, for next year on grace and the gospel about race relations and about, and we're going to, we're going to have a wonderful time. We were meeting together last week. <laughs> Jerry turned to me. He said, Brown, I said, what? He said, you know that most of the people in my community are Democrats. I said, I know that. He said, and I know that you're a Republican to the right of Genghis Khan. <laughs> and then he grinned and he said, you think you can deal with that? And I said, yeah, I can. You see, I have political agendas and they're better than yours. I have social agendas and religious agendas and denominational agendas and, and they're not worth deep in the light of Jesus. And if you can't set aside those agendas, you never can reach out to the people who are uninvolved. But there's one other thing. After you've gone to weird places and broken the rules and set aside your agendas, what do you do then? You step back and you watch. You let Jesus love you. Let me tell you something. Nobody will ever tell you this. It's not in any of the commentaries. Simon became a Christian. 
You say, how do you know that? It's not there in the text. It's nowhere in the Bible, but he did. Please note in the text that Simon said to himself, in other words, he was thinking this. If this man were a prophet, he would know that the woman who is touching him is a sinner. And then Lou says that Jesus answered Simon. Wait, Simon didn't say anything. He didn't verbalize any query. What Jesus did is that he read Simon's mind. Now, how do we know that? Jesus doesn't go around telling other people what we're thinking. How do we know that Simon thought that? Let me tell you. Only one place. It had to come from Simon. And it was a part of Simon's testimony. He would stand before the people of God and he would say, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting there thinking some pretty bad stuff and thinking, I'm glad I don't have to say this publicly because I don't want to get on his wrong side. And he read my mind and he answered my unspoken question. Is Jesus something else or what? Simon became a Christian and you wouldn't have expected it. You hardly ever expect it. I've been reading your great novel this week by Michael Faber. It's called uh, The Strange Book, The Book of Strange New Things, and that's the Bible. Not a Christian book, but it is sort of. It's about a young man who goes to an alien planet to be a missionary to the people on that planet. And the people are really strange. You can't tell the males from the females. They have one eye. They wear robes and hoods, and you can't make them out. And he can't pronounce their language or their names. So they, because they're, they so like his strange new book, decide that they're going to give themselves a name. And they name themselves Jesus Lover Number One. Jesus lover number 10, Jesus lover number 33, Jesus lover num number 80. Let me tell you something. We've been defined wrong in the church. Somebody called us mother to the world number one, the fixer number two, the one who goes out and makes an impact number three. It's not that. We're Jesus lovers. And when you're marginalized and when it hurts and when you're depressed and when you're afraid and when you're lonely, just be still and let Jesus love you. And then get out of your chair, break some rules and visit some weird places and Set aside your agendas and get out of the way and see what God does. I opened uh, this morning telling you about being rejected in Sandlot baseball. There's more to that story. <laughs> A couple of months later, I went back to the same Sandlot because hope springs eternal. And I thought maybe, but probably not. I'll be chosen. As soon as I walked onto the field, the guy who headed up one of the teams, a much looked up to young man in the high school, saw me walk on the field and he said, I want you. 
And I thought he was talking about somebody else. And I, and I went, me? He said, yeah, you. What's your name? And I told him, he said, you're on my team, the first to be chosen. I played baseball that day. Didn't play very well, but I played very hard and very enthusiastically. <laughs> Jesus did something not dissimilar. When he came to me, the excluded and the uninvolved and the rejected, and said, I want you. And I've played ball, not very well, but I've played ball ever since. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, you know why. You think about that. Amen.